0: You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. And then, after you're done greeting and meeting and moving closer to the front because it's fun up here, you can turn to the book of Romans, um, chapter 8. I'm going to read a couple of verses here. Um, and we encourage you to turn in your own Bibles, whether it be an electronic Bible or we do have Bibles on all the tables. Um, Turn to Romans um, so you can look at it and kind of read along in your own text and become familiar with doing that. I think it's a good habit to get into. Um, Look at Romans 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 18. We're going to read through 21. And this has something to do about suffering. And that is today's topic. We're going to talk about the problem of evil or the problem of suffering, or it's often called theodicy, and we'll talk about all that in a second. But this verse, uh, it starts off very um, encouraging. Uh, So it's Romans 8, starting in verse 18. And Paul says this, he says, I consider that our present sufferings, and so whatever it is you're going through, or suffering, or the sufferings in this world, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And how awesome is that to hope for, that, that our current sufferings, whatever they are, are not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Things will be so much better Um, that that our present sufferings will be like nothing is is my kind of interpretation of those words. And verse 19 says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. So the creation, I mean, look outside. We could see Pikes Peak and um, the mountains there. So all of creation is waiting for the sons uh, and, and daughters, the children of God, to be revealed. For, for the creation was subjected to frustration, so it 's not a perfect world that we live in, and it was not by its own cho- choice but, but by the will of the of whom subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So what does that mean? Well, it means that creation is not is not perfect it 's been frustrated, as the word said there. And, and, but it will be made right. It will be um, brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Um, and, and so that, that's our great hope as Christians that we have, despite there being suffering and pain on this earth now, there will be a time when it will be made right. And so let's go before the Lord in prayer as we begin this topic. And so God, we tell you that um, we, we are here before you, and um, as we, t- we talk about evil and the problem of suffering and pain, Lord, would you be here and comfort us and comfort those that are suffering and in pain. Lord, be with them. Be with us. Lord, we, we give you honor and glory. We, we do recognize your, um, that you are all powerful and that you are all good. And God, we love you and we trust you. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So, I want to tell you a story about preparing for this particular sermon, because early in the week when I knew that we were going to talk about the problem of evil, because here we are in this long nine-month systematic theological topic of going through systematic theology. And by the end of it, um, come springtime, if you've been around and been listening to the podcast for the ones you've missed, you will be an awesome systematic theologian. And so we've had this whole uh, system brought out before us, and it was, it was ordered so that this day we would talk about the problem of evil. And so earlier this week, I was wondering, um, I, I first probably need to talk about how the problem of evil is, in fact, a problem. I mean, here we are Americans, uh, where most of us are well fed, we have a home or some place to go to. If you're hungry, just get some more Panera. It's right back there. Um, it's Christmas time. There's times of, of gi- giving and celebrating. And so I thought going into this message, I'd have to convince you there is suffering in the world, there is evil in this world. And then Friday um, happened, and we saw in the news um, uh, about the, the tragedy, the massacre that I'm sure has been on your mind, it's been on my mind a lot over the weekend, um, and, and looking at the news and, and seeing that a, a a person, a young man, went into a school and shot six teachers, six adults, and then 20 kids. And as a parent, I, we have a one-year-old, Erica and I just spent time thinking about that and, and Praying for the parents that lost their kids, and I know I spent some time on Friday afternoon as some more of the news came in. It was crying and thinking you know how awesome, how awful that was that that, that this uh, tr- this horrible event happened uh, on friday and and it reminded me because I was here how many of you were members of New Life uh, five years ago at the time of the new life shooting? Quite a few hands, and so in looking at the news and, and Thinking about that brought back a lot of memories for me of being here on that day when uh, a shooter came into our building and, and shot people. And, and Erica and I ran out of Tag Chapel, uh, Student Chapel, and we ran around and we found David Works. And so I was with him holding David's hand as he was bleeding. And I saw um, um, one of the girls, uh, Lori was the, the blonde-haired girl, on the, on the pavement bleeding. Her chest was shot. And I saw Stephanie... In the van, gasping for her last breaths. And just, why? Why did that happen? And, and just, so this weekend has been especially um, hard for some of us at New Life that have gone through a shooting and, and been reminded. And as if any of you are in here, our parents, you will know that it's just especially hard to think about what those parents are going through. So obviously, we, uh, coming to today, Sunday, I don't need to tell you, you know, convince you that suffering and evil is present in this world. And that it is a problem. It's a huge problem. It's a huge theological problem that we are going to talk about today. Why would a good God and an all-powerful God allow or, or, or this horrible things to happen, like what happened on Friday morning? So that's the topic for today. It's it's kind of chilling and sobering, um, but it's 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 worth talking about, especially in light of. The, uh, the, the news. And so um, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. Um, this is a place for kind of the nerds of new life. The Mill is our college and 20-somethings ministry, but we always kind of joke that we don't card you at the door. If you're older than that or younger than that, you're, you're welcome to be in here. This is a place um, where we are going through a whole um, a years, uh, nine months at least, long course of systematic theology and really d- diving deep into these hard topics. And so if you're new, um, on all your tables, is a card. You could take that and fill it out. Give it to the nice people as you leave in the back, and uh, they'll give you a worship CD from uh, one of our Friday nights. That's our main meeting for the college and 20-somethings ministry of New Life. And um, yeah, as far as announcements go, um, there'll be no Mill Sunday School next week, and there'll be no Mill Sunday School the week after that. I think it works out to be the, is it the 23rd and the 31st? 30th? 30th? Cool. Um, the reason is to give all of our leaders and staff time off around the holidays to spend with family and friends. And uh, I think it's just a well-needed break for, for us as uh, leaders um, because the Mills Sunday School just doesn't happen. I mean, the, the bagels, the coffee, the setup, the teardown, the tech, the, the computers, and um, the preparation that goes into and the teardown is, is uh, hard work. And so we're giving our leaders the time off. So, yeah. Moving right along. So, this is, if you look at the books, bookmarks, this is what we're talking about um, all these nine months. That is the order of systematic theology. Here we are in December talking about humanity and the image of God and how, of course, we, we, as Christians, we'd say humanity has been scarred. Humanity has fallen from grace. There's been original sin and there is evil in this world now. And we need to talk about the problem of evil. And so, what is the problem of evil? Well, the problem of evil is wrapped up. Um, quite well um, by a guy named David Hume, who lived in um, the, the 1700s. He was a humanist, uh, an atheist, an, an agnostic, and someone who uh, was very skeptical. And he said this, he said it like this, he said, is God willing to prevent evil? So pay attention, listen to these words. Is God willing to prevent evil, but not able? Well, then he's not all powerful. And if he is able, so if God is able to prevent evil, but he's not willing to then he's malicious. If he's both able and willing, then why is there evil? Do you see the problem? So if we believe as Christians, which uh, a couple months ago, we we talked about theology proper, the study of God, and we said he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, he's all-good, he's all-powerful, he's all-loving. So if those things are true, then why is there evil? If God is able and and he's good, um, then why is there evil? And in some senses, we are not going to answer the problem of evil today, in, in every sense, actually. Um, in fact, the quote on the back of your notes, if you got some notes when you came in, um, says, it's by an anonymous quote, if you think you have solved the problem of evil, then you do not really understand the problem. And I think that is, that is very true today as we talk about the problem of evil. It's almost as if we are like ants trying to find out why in the world it's raining when the sun's out because the homeowner, for the first time in the spring, turned on the sprinklers. Like, how can an ant comprehend what's really going on there? Um, The sprinklers, and, well, it's it's sunny out. It's usually not raining when it's sunny out. Why is it raining? Well, it's actually a sprinkler that's been turned on. And how how could an ant comprehend all that? Well, the ant cannot. And in some ways, maybe we as humans can can talk around the problem of evil and look at it and study it and hopefully do some good with what we're going to do here today. But at the end of Mill Sunday School... No one will leave here saying, oh, we got the answer. We have the answer to the problem of evil. We got it all figured out. Because in light of God's all goodness and his all powerfulness, why is there evil? It is a big problem. And it's a big problem theologically for us as Christians as well as people who are non-believers. I think I, I imagine that many of you in this room could, could point to someone in your life who was a believer, who was a Christian, and something happened along the way. And maybe that something was something horrible, something painful, something that involved suffering. And that person began to walk away from the Lord and wonder, where was God? Uh, why would God allow this to happen? Um, why would he allow this to happen? I'm, I'm going to walk. He wa- it seems like he walked away from me. I'm going to walk away from him. And so that is a very uh, common reaction to suffering and pain in this world. And it doesn't have to be. We're going to talk about reactions as Christians that we have to evil. Um, and some, sometimes it's called this, theodicy as well. And it's two Greek words, uh, theos, which means uh, God, and uh, daike, which means justice. So how do you reconcile God and his justice in, in the light of suffering and pain going on? So I'm going to be quiet for just a second and give you a chance to think about this and discuss. Give you just a couple minutes to, um, because I think the world right now, because of the events of Friday are looking at us. I mean, I saw over the weekend, I saw lots of news articles. Why did this happen? Where was God when this happened? They had d- different religious figures coming in and trying to say something. And so your discussion question for you at your tables, if you're at a small table, jump in with a, a big table because bigger is better in this case. Uh, just invite yourself in. So the discussion question is this, what should we as Christians say to people who are suffering. What can we say? What should we say to those that are suffering? What message can we bring as Christians to those that are suffering? Talk about that at your tables. Ready, get set, go. All right, how many of you um, answered the question in some way? um, You would say that uh, God is here. You would tell the person who is suffering um, it will get better. Um, How many of you said um, it's okay to grieve right now. Like right now, it's, it's actually you are okay to grieve. How many of you, I wonder, um, said something along the lines of, well, I don't know that I would say too much. I would just sit with them and, and cry with them. Anybody come to that kind of conclusion? I think that's a, a great conclusion that we as Christians have um, concerning the problem of evil. That's what Job's friends did with Job. It said that the, Job's uh, three friends came and sat with Job on the dirt, for seven days and seven nights and didn't say a word. Um, and in some ways, I think as Christians, if, if we think we have it all answered, we think we have it all figured out, and we go to someone who is suffering with answers, that may be the most devastating thing for them is to hear things like, oh, do you know why you're suffering? You listen to secular music. That's why you're suffering. <laughs> Or that, of course, is silly and lightens the mood, but um, I, think, I think we can do damage as Christians if we, if we pretend like we have all the answers when, in fact, we do not have um, a very good answer to the problem of evil. We will have today, we'll, we'll talk about themes in talking about <coughs> the problem of evil, but as it stands, we, we don't really have it all figured out, and I think that's one of the last things um, someone who is suffering needs to hear, like answers and finger-pointings. Um, and so let's define... The problem of evil. If you're looking on your notes, that's uh, like point number two the definition of evil. And I'm going to define it um, maybe a little differently than, than how you have thought about it before. Maybe you've thought about it. Um, I'm going to kind of define it in two ways. And the first one is to define evil as a moral evil, something that is wrong, something that is, that is evil and nasty and demonic and against God. And going back to creation, when we talked about that last month, the top systematic theological topic of creation, we said that everything is either one of two things. There is two stuffs. Anybody remember that? And you're like, two stuffs? That sounds dumb. And yeah, of course it sounds dumb because it's not a real word, I don't think. Um, but but we said, I don't know that there's a better word for it other than that everything is either God or God's creation. Everything. Um, nothing is outside of that. There's the uncreated creator and then what he has made. And so we, we came to this uh, interesting question last month of what about the problem of evil? We said, well, maybe this moral evil thing is that evil is actually the absence of God. Evil is like cold. Um, there's no such thing as cold per se. It's, it's uh, the absence of heat energy. And so in some ways we could think about evil being um, moving away from God and his ways and who he is. And so that, of course, is one part of what evil is. But I'm going to lump something else into it. And you may disagree, um, and, and that is okay. That Lots of philosophers first would say, no, that evil isn't this. Um, but I'm going to lump it in and kind of talk about both of these today and call it evil for the rest of this discussion. But know that there is some debate over whether you can call this evil or not. I will make an argument that it is. And evil, I would say, is natural suffering as well, and a natural suffering would be something like cancer, or tsunami, or AIDS, or a tornado. And by that, we'd say, well, it's not evil. Like, like there's not a demon, um, like, like someone you know stealing out of greed. Like, we'd say that's evil, and we compare that to a tornado, and we say, well, both left destruction, both left devastation, both left things unordered and and wrong, and they're suffering. And so I, for the purpose of this lecture, am going to define evil both as a moral evil and natural evil and say that the problem of evil isn't just, oh, you know, evil things happening like bad and demonic and and moral, but also evil happening like uh, the sufferings of of a natural disaster and call that evil as well. And so it's with that that we'll we'll talk about the problem of evil. We could call it the problem of suffering um, or the problem of pain uh, these are all one and the same, and we come to um, some wrong answers, and I think this will help us kind of kind of wrap our minds around the problem of evil a little bit more by saying here's some wrong answers to the problem of evil. These, in fact, are answers, but they're wrong answers to the problem of evil. So here we go. Number one would be to say, oh, uh, God and Satan are equal and opposite powers, and they're battling over your mind and your heart and your life. And so if, just to make fun of the same example, if you start listening to secular music, well, then you're giving Satan some more energy. And so he's going to win and bad stuff's going to happen in your life. Whereas if you do good, um, then, then God will win because Satan and God are equal and opposite powers. And we'd say, wait, hold the phone here for just a second. Satan is like an ant versus God's 12 uh, size foot that he could smash at any second. Um, Satan and God are not equal and opposite powers. Um, So let's forget that and say, okay, God is all-powerful. He's in in control. Um, And so that's not a good answer to the problem of evil. Make sense? Everybody cool? Okay. The second one is to redefine everything that happens as good. And some people that would say this would maybe be atheists who would say, oh, there's no moral good or evil. Everything that happens just happens. Or maybe some sort of Eastern thought of becoming one with everything and saying, oh, that everything that happens is, in fact, good. And this is different than saying, oh, God will work situations out for his good. This is saying, oh, everything is good. Tsunamis, they're awesome. High five. AIDS, great. Love it. Like um, What? No. They, you can't everything is not good. Everything is not just the same. We as Christians would say there is evil and there is good, and they are very different. And the final one is to say there is no evil because there is no world. There is no uh, ground. There is no pike Peak. This world doesn't really exist. Only the heavenly world exists. Um, and so maybe Eastern thoughts would, would play into that. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie The Matrix, it would kind of be like that, um, that this world doesn't really exist. There's a true world beyond this world that does exist. And so if you can just understand um, and recognize and believe that, that there is no pain or suffering now, then, then, it, then you, it'll go away. Um, there's a religion called the Christian scientists that believe very much like this and the, and the teachings of Mary Baker Eddy, who would say that uh, if you're in pain, well, then you just need to pray and to realize that you're actually not in pain because this world doesn't exist. There is no pain. There's no uh, world. There is no ground. There's no Pike's Peak. There's no spoon. There's nothing. Um, and you just need to realize that. Um, and, then, and so, like, I had a friend in high school in my calculus class. Anybody taking calculus right now? It's brutal. <laughs> I see a couple hands. Anyways, good luck with that. Um, uh, he was in a calculus class with me. And he first, this guy had like a toothache. He was like, "Man, my tooth really hurts, really bad. It hurts." And and the days turned into weeks, and he had like cotton balls in his mouth. And I was like, "Dude, how are you doing?" He's like, "My tooth hurt and he's like, like, like drooling. And uh, I was like, "Dude, go to the dentist." And he was like, "Well, that's actually a, a really um, big thing in my life right now is deciding to go to a dentist because he was a Christian scientist." and him and his family. And the faith says, if you have pain, well, then you need to pray and to realize that the pain isn't actually there. And so to go to a dentist or a doctor or to take medicine of any kind would be saying uh, would be saying that you have a total lack of faith in the religion that says um, there is no evil, there is no pain. And so he went, he, I think he went almost a month. The days turned into weeks of him just like, oh, I can't eat, can't sleep, painful mouth. He had just molars. He just needed to get his molars taken out was all he needed to do, a simple procedure from the dentist. Um, Many of you have probably had your molars taken out. And so uh, at the end of a month, he and his family sat down and they decided they are going to go to the dentist. And he got his molars removed and he was fine. But I just remember that month of him wrestling with Is there suffering and is there pain in this world? Because his religion told him that there isn't. And we as Christians would say, that's not the right answer to the problem of evil. This world is real and it does have goodness and evil um, at the same time. And so let's move on to another topic. Um, This in in some ways will be helpful. This in some ways will provide even less answers for you um, to the problem of evil. But I want to ask the question, where does evil come from? And so I'm going to have this, it's going to end up kind of being a silly little uh, diagram up here. But please excuse the silliness for the the seriousness uh, of the ideas of what we're going to be talking about. Um, So this is a picture of you. That's you. Uh, If you don't look like that, well, then imagine a better picture of you. Um, So that's you. Um, And uh, where does evil come from? So I'm going to draw different things um, onto uh, this person in representation of where evil comes from. So think about that in your head really quickly. If you have a bad day, if something bad happens to you, if you're suffering, what was the cause of that bad day or that bad thing or that suffering? What was the cause? And maybe some of you would say in light of of Friday's events and the massacre that happened, well, a a very bad person could be the result uh, of the suffering. And so there's a very bad person uh, next to you. And so where does evil come from? Well, it comes from someone filled with rage, filled with uh, greed um, that wants to hurt and destroy and to take what is yours because they are evil and they, they are a bad guy or girl who wants to take from you what is yours or, or whatever. And so we'd say, oh, that's, that's definitely a cause of suffering in this world um, that we as humans can hurt each other. We can hurt each other very deeply with words or the things we do or say um, or so forth. And, but then, does that answer everything? If you think about all the situations of, of suffering you've ever been in and the problem of evil, well, is it just all because of other people hurting each other? Well, what about yourself? And so what about the, the, the decisions you make? And so I draw kind of yourself standing next to you. Um, and so Proverbs is full of like, oh, the fool and his folly, um, and, and the, the folly that comes from a foolish decision. If you decided, man, I need some more cash. I need some pocket money. I'm going to go rob a bank really quick. And so you go out and you go rob a bank um, because of your greed and your selfishness. And then later you're caught and you're put into jail. And there you are in jail, suffering um, um, in jail uh, because of the decision you made. Well, was that a bad guy? No, that was you, your own dumb decision and your own greed and selfishness to go out and steal. And that's why you're suffering, because of... Uh, your, yourself. So you could see, okay, yourself, uh, outside forces of other humans. And then we would say as Christians, we believe in a spiritual force. We'd say that there is this demonic force. Um, and so I put a, a little demon guy down there biting the foot of you um, to represent Ephesians 6.12, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers uh, of the dark forces against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And we would say there is evil, spiritual evil that can give us thoughts and make us have a bad day and bring us into bad situations and tempt us. And and all these things can bring suffering upon us, and they're from um, the evil sources of the devil or demons or demonic influences of our lives. And we'd say, okay, here's one, two, three examples of some pretty serious causes for the problem of evil. But what about things that happen that seem to be outside of those? Like, let's say, you're on your way to church, and you're on I-25, and your tire blows out. And you roll over, and maybe you had some people in your car, and they die. um, And there's pain, and there's suffering. Maybe you get very uh, injured and hurt. Um, And you'd say, well, did a person shoot out your tire? Um, was, Was... was, you know, I, I don't think so. You know, no one shot out my tire, so it wasn't a human source. Was it a decision you made? No, it just randomly happened. You had good tires. You made good decisions. You, were, you weren't speeding or anything like that. Or was it a demonic force that popped your tire? Well, maybe, um, but but maybe not. Maybe it was just, and so I'm going to put up this, the, the waves of of nature, the, just the natural world that we live in that has fallen and that is not perfect. Uh, the Romans passage we read said the world, the. Creation has been frustrated. And so there it is. There's these different forces of cause for evil in our lives, a cause for sufferings in our lives. And let's zoom out really quickly here um, and and think about, um, does this answer, where is God? Does this answer the questions that um, the news is asking right now of like, why did this massacre happen? Where was God? Why would God allow this um, to happen? Where is he in all this? And as Christians, we would have to say, well, since you know, we are theologians and have studied God and we know that he's omniscient and omnipresent, we'd say that, of course, God was there when, when something bad happened. A tire popped or someone uh, hurt you with their words or caused suffering or even uh, a demonic influence was allowed to tempt you. Where was God? Well, he was there in some way. He knew about it. He wasn't off. We are not deists. We don't think God is off doing something else while we are here on earth. Um, and so where is he? Well, he is here. And that is what makes the problem of evil so hard to think about and to solve, is that, well, why couldn't he have stopped it? Why couldn't God have stopped it? Um, and in fact, um, um, that's the problem of evil. But as we, as we dive in a little closer to Scripture, we think about, well, what does God have to say about some of these things of suffering well, we'd say that, well, at some points, God does send suffering upon the bad guys. And so here's a plague of grasshoppers going upon the bad guy's head. Um, and we see that in Scripture, don't we? Like uh, Moses and God uh, God sending the plagues uh, uh, to Egypt. We see Isaiah 45, 7, which in the King James says, I, God, I make peace and I create evil. And as Christians, we're like, whoa, God creates evil? And this is the reason why I kind of chose to include natural suffering in my definition of that English word evil, um, to say that, well, God isn't morally evil. He can't morally, you know, do something against his own self. And so he, uh, we would say that God um, brings natural suffering. And so the NIV translates the same verse as, I bring prosperity and create disaster. Uh, And we see that in the New Testament as well, Ananias and Sapphira, sell some land, they bring the money to the, the disciples, and then it turns out they're kind of stealing and not bringing it at all. So what does God do? He kills them right on the spot. Ananias, Sapphira, dead, um, causes them um, to die and, and suffer because of the, the the wicked they did. And then we think, okay, that's that's the suffering, God bringing it on the bad people. But then it seems like some really good people suffer too. And, and where is God in all that? Well, sometimes it seems Um, And I'll I'll make an argument, and it it can be debated, um, that God brings suffering upon people in the Old and New Testament. I think really clearly in the Old Testament, uh, you look at the figure of Job, a righteous man, a serious man, a man who has no blame. Uh, And Satan comes to God and says, can I have your permission to destroy Job's life, to kill his seven sons and three daughters, and bring boils to him, and destroy all his uh, property? And God says, Sure, I give you my permission. So who who is ultimately, you know, responsible for that? I would I would I would think that you would say God because he gave his, um, he he allowed it. He said, Yeah, not only am I allowing it, but I'm giving you my full permission to go and, and do this thing. It's like someone unleashing a pit bull on a kid, like. Is the pit bull the one that is totally responsible? No, it's the dumb dog owner that that released it. And in this case, I don't mean to say God is dumb, but in this case, uh, it's it's God ultimately, I think you would read the book of Job the same way and say God is ultimately responsible for the suffering of Job. In fact, it even says that if you look at Job 42.11, his friends come to him and console him after all the troubles that the Lord had brought upon Job. And that's Job 42.11, a very sobering, verse in, in the Old Testament scripture of like, wait, God was responsible? Yeah. Whoa. Okay. Um, and then I would say the New Testament has, has uh, examples. I would, I would give the example of Paul in Acts chapter 9. When he becomes a Christian, the first thing God says to him is this. Uh, Acts chapter 9, uh, I think verse 15. Uh, this man is a chosen instrument to proclaim the name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the, all the people of Israel. And then it says, I will show him. So God is saying, I will show him. Who will show him? God will show him uh, how much he has to suffer for my name. And, of course, Paul does. And he goes on to talk about how he's been shipwrecked and beaten and stoned and left for dead. And it's like, whoa, that was, that was God showing Paul how much he had? That's kind of an interesting thing when you get saved. I mean, when I got saved, it's like, your life's going to be sweet. Yay the words of, of God to, to Paul, where I'm going to show you how much you're going to have to suffer. That's that's humbling and chilling and sobering. So anyways, I, I, I say that to bring up more questions, which I'm sure in your mind is is rolling around as to, okay, when you're suffering, what are the, what's the reason? What's the cause of that suffering? Is it God punishing you? Is it just a demonic influence? Is it a natural influence? Is it someone else who just wants to hurt you? Is it your own dumb thoughts and pride and ambitions uh, and greed and selfishness? What is it? Well, I, I, I think in some ways we often cannot and we often should not judge the reason suffering, especially on someone else. Like, oh, you're having a bad day? Well, let me tell you why. It's because you listen to secular music. Or like, oh, you're having a bad day? Um, Well, demons are trying to get you. Well, that may be true, but it may be that, that maybe just natural events are happening and going on um, I think it 's very immature when when a Christian lashes out against a group and says, for instance, Oh uh, the the hurricane destroyed your city. Well, your city must be very wicked. Oh, the tsunami uh, like let 's say in Thailand killed a bunch of tourists. oh well that 's because God hates rich uh, white tourists and it 's like uh, what no so it 's very I think very silly of us, very immature. Um, of us to, to, to point our fingers and say, oh, the cause of this particular evil is this or that, and to know with absolute assurity, because I don't think we can. Um, but And so that, so have I created the problem of evil for you in your minds? Are you all in here like, yeah, there is a serious problem of evil? Everybody? Yeah, and so hopefully um, that is, I, and I've brought up more questions right now than any kind of answers, um, but at this point I want to kind of, um, change and to provide some sort of answer. Because in light of suffering, are we supposed to um, um, question and curse God? Are we supposed to give up on God? Um, Or are we in in some way, uh, the New and the Old Testament somehow talks about rejoicing in sufferings and knowing that God is in control and knowing that our present sufferings are nothing compared to the coming glory and how we and our attitude should be like that of Christ. Um, and, and to go to him and to grieve and to suffer, but to know that God is in charge. And I want to introduce somebody uh, who's, who's going to speak and give his testimony. It's Chris Cordero. Chris, why don't you come uh, roll over here? Um, you, you got your mic on. He's getting his mic on. Chris uh, is on Mill Leadership and he helps out at Sunday School. I'm sure you've seen him. He's bringing in bagels and uh, helping us. And in is it? 2000, two thousand in the year two thousand January uh, Chris uh, was in a wrestling accident i 'm going to step down here and um, and broke his neck between what vertebrae like the uh, cervical fifth and sixth the cervical fifth and sixth vertebrae mm-hmm. and um, since that time hasn't been able to walk or use uh, his hands and so you're like quadriplegic mm-hmm. versus a Basically,
1: quadriplegic means well, you, four. yeah, you break in the cervical region, and paraplegic would be a break anywhere from thoracic down, so it'd be thoracic, lumbar, sacral. So I am classified as quad.
0: Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, it's been what 12 years now. Yeah, going on since 13. The accident, yep. mm-hmm. and um, so I think as I have known Chris uh, in the time that I've known him. Me and Erica have spent time with you and your wife. I think you um, have this perspective of suffering um, and just being frustrated with not being able to use your hands and and legs um, to an extent that I don't know about. But I thought you, when you shared your testimony with me, it was just like, wow, your perspective is beautiful and, and unique to this problem of suffering and how we as Christians are supposed to have an attitude. So I've asked Chris to share his testimony. Want me to put up your baby picture? Yes. There you are. Yes, very nice. So very he wasn't nice, born in a wheelchair. I just just <laughs> you were wondering. Yeah, it's excellent. a joke we have. Excellent. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well my
1: name's Chris Cordero. Um, I'm 29 years of age. That's my beautiful wife over there, Laurel Cordero. Um, I'm originally from Bartlesville, Oklahoma, small Midwest town, about 45 minutes north of Tulsa, for those of you who aren't familiar with that. And... Uh, Okay, sweet. And so, anyways, uh, growing up, I had uh, two older brothers. Um, we pretty much played sports our whole life. We we're in football, wrestling. Do we have any football players, wrestlers? Okay. Sweet. wrestlers. sweet, awesome. So yeah, grow up, growing up, playing uh, football, wrestling my whole life. Uh, been into weights and so forth. Um, and I've always been a big kid. Uh, we have I mean, a
0: picture Here's, here's you, yeah. I think. Uh, there, he's on the top right. Yeah. He could mess you up. Yeah. <laughs> How tall?
1: Uh, I'm 6'7". Six, 6'7", seven.
0: Six, seven, and like two fifty to Oh, I'm less than that now. Well, now, but, but look, but look at you back now in like high 260 school. i two sixty there. Yeah, yeah. he so could a, mess you that's up. That's me a sophomore. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, i have pretty much pretty been, you know been a big kid my whole life. Like I have two older brothers, and it goes. Um, like, I'm the bigger one, and then it's, like, my older brother and then older brother. It's not the other way around, by any means. Um, imagine, have you guys seen The Goonies? Like, the old movie, mm-hmm. The Goonies? Remember Sloth, the big guy? That was kind of me in comparison to, like, <laughs> other kids. Not even kidding. It's really sad. Um, it was real common, you know, when I'd play with, you know, kids my age. Uh, you know, parents were like, who's that guy playing with our kids? <laughs> like, no, he's really... Uh, the same age as your kid. So it was, um, you know, the awkward kid, you know, in the background with, uh, you know, getting his photo taken. He's like two feet taller than all the other kids. You know, that that was me growing up. So um, at a very young age, I started lifting weights. Um, We rigged, like me and my brothers, we rigged up some uh, cinder blocks, and we're like, we're going to get some weights going. And at that point, my parents realized the uh, potential I had uh, as an athlete, and we ended up uh, getting our first weight set. So, um, besides, you know, roughhousing and, and playing a lot with my brothers and stuff and, and sports, um, I, our nights were always football games, wrestling matches, preparing for those, uh, lifting, you know, twice a day, five times a week, early in the morning, late at night, push yourself, you know, to a different level that most people don't. Um, now... Before the match, this, this was a three-day wrestling tournament in Sepulpo, Oklahoma. Um, I wrestled the first two days, and I, I did well enough to make it to finals. So I was a sophomore um, in, anywhere, in, in high school wrestling. Uh, it's 9th through 12th. You know, you're wrestling all the older guys as well. So um, I actually, um, all my friends got beat out of the tournament. Um, I was still in, and so... Uh, it was the third day of the tournament and I was scheduled to wrestle, you know, towards the evening. Um, and what's interesting about, you know, all this wrestling and, and all this, uh, it, how God almost, like, showed himself to me um, in a different way that I've never experienced. Um, like, six months prior, I had some weird dream. Um, basically, I woke up in the middle of the night. I was kind of in a panic. I remember this this overwhelming anxiety, um, I, didn't, I didn't know what it was, I just, just thought it was a nightmare, you know, go back to sleep, no big deal, whatever, and, uh, but the only thing I felt was, I just felt, you know, really comforted knowing, like, God was like, you know, something's going to come up to test your faith, I'm here, your life is going to be fine, and uh, it just brings me to the scripture that, I mean, it's hopefully not too cliche here, but uh, Jeremiah 29 11, uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And so that's kind of like one of the scriptures I always fall back on. God knows the, the, the beginning of our life, the end of our life. Why do we worry about the little things that are not even important? And so um, it's kind of like one of those things, you know, I'm going into the mental health field and uh, really trying to help people you know, get past, you know, certain situations, or, you know, whatever the case, I mean, it's, it's kind of sad to see, if God knows everything, I just don't understand how people get hung up on things, and that's why, I, that's how I try to live my life, is uh, not getting hung up on the small things, to see the bigger picture, and stuff, so, um, during the wrestling match, um, this was a senior, he weighed in at 275 pounds, um, I weighed in at 256 pounds, um, we wrestled, we went through a whole, um, the first, uh, you have uh, like three sets, so it'd be like three minutes, three minutes, three minutes of wrestling. So we went through the first uh, set, and we were pretty much got stalemate. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't move this guy. This guy was a tank. He's a big guy. Uh, 275 pounds is, is a lot of weight to push around, as you guys could imagine. Um, and so we ended up, the referee flipped a coin, and... I chose to take down, uh, the down position, because I knew I could escape from him. I knew that my approach to him would have to be tactical. I would have to beat him by points. It wasn't going to be a pin. I just knew that's the way it was going to go. When you wrestle long enough, you can kind of predict how the match is going to go, and so forth. And so, um, I was uh, good at setting up for a headlock throw, and when I got back up, I was really good at doing that. And... um, what we'll do is, well, we'll show the video of when I broke my neck, but just—it's not gory. It's not gory. If it was, we wouldn't show it. Don't freak out. It's not a big deal. I'm fine about it. But this is just shows you how how precious and valuable your life is, and how your life can change. This is 15 seconds out of all these matches. Your your life changes in, in, in this little amount of time. But we'll show you the video. And yeah, it's we'll... um.
0: So it's pref. So uh, there's going to be a big black guy. That's not you. Not me. That's the guy. (laughs) That's the guy you're wrestling. Um, And Chris is the big white guy, and he, I mean, it's 15 seconds. So, like, I had to see it a couple times to, like, oh, that was it. Because it's just, it happens so quick. It's just when Chris goes down, you can see Mm -hmm. his neck um, go under, and that's, it's, it's, it's it's not as gory. When I saw it, I was like, oh, that's it? Like, two kids could be wrestling, and this could happen. Mm -hmm. Like, I could be, I could slip on ice, and this could happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So, anyways. Uh, here it is. There it was.
1: Fifteen seconds. That's all it took. And, uh, (laughs) sorry not to get emotional, but uh, my life has totally been different, you know, since that day. Um... So anyways, during that actual match, there was actually uh, several things that could've happened. Um, I knew every uh, possibility that that, that I knew the way that it could go, and that my only options were certain ways to go. So um, one of the things I could've done is what's called a mule kick. You just basically kick them like a mule and get away from them. You You get your points, you escape. Um, the other thing is to, basically what you saw was he had a hold of my ankle. And so to get away from something like that, you basically got to reach back, grab his fingers, peel him off, and get away from him. Well, as I did that, he decided to shove his shoulder in my back, as you could tell, which made me go forward, thus landing on my neck. So imagine, you know, you're, you guys know that your face goes this far imagine your face where you can physically see your chest. That's how far my neck went. And so you don't really see it from that angle, but um, if there was a camera on the other end, I assure you it went that far. So (laughs) interesting um, enough, um, this is kind of what the collision was like. It reminded me of going from, if you've been in a car wreck, 150 miles an hour to a dead stop, no skid. That's what it felt like. My headgear got caught on the mat. I couldn't pull my head up. And uh, I, I knew, I knew it was done. Um, you know, at the time, coaches were like, you know, trying to reassure me. It was a stinger. Stingers basically, if you collide hard enough with somebody, you get the tinglies in your hands. You can't feel your hands, that kind of deal. I've had one of those in football. I knew it was much worse, and uh, I was like, this is something's not right. Because like instantly, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't move. Couldn't breathe. Couldn't push myself off the mat. Um, in a previous match, I, I broke my nose, so there's, like, blood pulling around my head. So I'm thinking, well, what's really wrong with me? You know, I didn't know what was wrong with me at that time. So it was just, like, a big guessing game. Um, so it was instantly. Um, the pain was unbelievable. felt like somebody was burning me all over. I couldn't get away from it. Um, I felt like I was in such spinal shock. I couldn't... Uh, I started losing, like, I lost a lot of sensation in my arms, my body. Um, At first, whenever I first got hurt, my fingers worked, just these first three. But then after surgery, after all the spinal swelling and stuff, my fingers stopped working. So um, what ended up happening, I stopped breathing on my own. Um, I actually um, was on a ventilator um, for two and a half months, um, basically through a tracheostomy, I put a hole in your neck. And so I was on a ventilator for two and a half months. Um, yes, uh, I think we have
0: pictures of that, right? Yeah. Like, if you were wondering what the... That's, uh, that's Chris's uh, x-ray. That's what's mm-hmm. on the skill. So if you came in and you're like, what is this picture on the notes? Mm-hmm. That's Chris's neck. Yeah. So basically what it took is it took uh, three plates,
1: eight screws to fix my neck. It took uh, uh, a cadaver bone. So whoever donated that, thank you. Um, so <laughs> uh, and here's you... With the... Uh, yeah, with the tray that was... Uh, I had that for two and a half you're months. You're smiling, having
0: a good time. It was, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> it was a blast. I think there's uh, one more picture in there, I think. Yeah, what's the other one? Let's see. Let's see. Oh,
1: sunglasses, yeah. Chris. So, at that point right there, um, I cannot breathe on my own. I'm paralyzed from my neck down. I have uh, I can just barely move my neck. Um, at that point, what they were doing is just removing sutures because they were going to do trach changes and, and, and whatnot. So um, yeah, so broke my neck, and if you guys don't mind, I'm just going to read you something that I wrote. And what I want you guys to do is imagine your life in this position, and imagine what it would be like for you, thinking that oh, this could potentially be the end of my life. Because you know, when you stop breathing, and you're having machines and things like that breathe for you, potentially, death is right around the corner. It's just Just being Captain Obvious. So um, this is what I was thinking uh, during the time. And uh, I put, um, I can hear myself breathing, but I can't feel my lungs expanding. That was from the sensory um, uh, injury. Um, I can distinctly hear my heart beating. The crowd that was cheering has become dead silent. Everything is burning and numb at the same time. This can't be good. I can hear my family talking to me, but I can't see them. I can feel someone holding my head, but do not know who it is. They cut off my headgear and I still cannot move. My neck is being stabilized. A lot of people are moving me. I can't feel the mat. I can't feel the temperature. And I I cannot feel their hands. All I see is the arena lights, coaches, wrestlers, family standing all around me, and I cannot see their faces. They're wheeling me out on a stretcher. And we get outside, and I cannot feel the cold temperature. I'm loaded up and headed to the hospital. I can hear my mom's voice. We pray together what seems like an eternity of driving, we are now at the hospital. And so that was uh, just basically kind of my first-hand experience of of having a spinal cord injury and whatnot. And so uh, after that, we actually ended up uh, doing a lot of rehab. This is, like I said, the sophomore year of my high school uh, career. So uh, for two and a half weeks, I was at St. John Medical Center in in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, Basically, they kept me sedated in a drug-induced coma, Therefore, I could actually have time to heal. Um, After that, I was um, flown on a jet. Do I have that photo on there? I don't think I have the jet one. That was my mom. She's always been there praying for me. I can't stress enough the importance of prayer, but um, they flew me to uh, Craig Hospital. Um, I did five months of rehab where basically I was, I learned how to breathe again. Um, I learned how to use my arms again, even though I don't have my fingers, but I mean, this is better than nothing if you ask me. so I did uh, five months of rehab, came back, graduated high school, uh, finished my undergraduate, and now I'm working on a master's degree. So one step at a time, keep pushing forward. Um, and then, there's, do you have the other
0: photo? I think? Uh, this one, your mom.
1: So my mom's gonna love that this photo is actually in the slideshow. It's, like, look at her face, like, it's <laughs> so funny. Like, no, I, I didn't even want to crop it. I was like, no, mom is gonna wait till she sees this. This is gonna be great. So, um, you can't really tell, but at that point in time, I'm kind of having a pity party for myself. Um, when you first uh, have a spinal cord injury, you know, it, it's rough. Life's different. You mourn your old body. You mourn the old things you used to do. It's such a change. Everything that I did was physical, and now I have to use my brain. I mean, that sounds really bad, but you understand what I'm saying, right? Yeah. So um, at that point in time, um, you know, I was kind of having a pity party for myself. We went to a, a, thera- a therapeutic recreation uh, outing, and we're like, oh, we're going to make flowers for your mother, and all that fun stuff. And, you know, at that point, I was, you know, like I said, having a pity party. And what you can't see in this photo is the guy that's sitting across from me. His mom's standing by, by him, just, just like my mom's standing by me. But this guy's brain dead. This guy's never going to get better again. He's 16 years old. He uh, had a car wreck where um, um, he pretty much destroyed his brain. So... Him in a vegetative state and me seeing his mom, you know, trying to guide him and guide his hands into, into you, know, you know, doing things into something that will never be. This guy's never going to get better. He's 16 years old. And it was that point that I, I was just like, um, you know what? No, no more pity party. There's, there's, nobody has an excuse to have a pity party. I don't care how bad your situation is. God's always on your side. God's always fighting for you, and God always has favor for you. And that's one of the things that I, I vow never to have, is a pity party for myself, or let alone let anybody have a pity party who's talking to me because I don't want to hear it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I just don't want to hear it. Just suck it up. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that, that's kind of that picture. Um, and I'll just summarize with this, you know, that uh, I believe so much in spiritual warfare. Um, what we don't see is... It, it's so important to uh, understand how Satan works and how he, how he can deceive us and, and make plans to destroy us. And this type of injury, you know, to me, it wasn't, it wasn't designed to, oh, just affect my life. It was designed to affect my friend's life, destroy my family, de- destroy me. I mean, most people that I know that are in this position, they end up recluse in a closet, not doing anything with their life and feeling sorry for themselves. But I almost like me waking up, living the life that I do, is almost like a slap to Satan's face, saying, I, what you say is a lie to me. I don't know why I'm not walking yet. I do believe in the miraculous, but I do assure you of this, that our God is a good God. And you would think that this would make me turn to maybe more atheistic views, but it's only strengthened my faith. And so, um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think
0: that's yeah. it. Yeah, let's yeah. thank Chris for sharing the testimony. Awesome. Uh, well, um, I don't know if any other way to end. I had some 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 themes um, that we were going to talk about, but I would rather just close in in prayer and this reminder of uh, of the season that we are in. Uh, of that being Christmas, and that Jesus um, is, is the victim of evil. And that's a theme that you will hear if you ever talk about the problem of evil and research it. You will find this idea that we as Christians, maybe our best, and it's not an answer at all, but the best thing we can say um, to someone who is suffering is that Christ, our God, you know, is Jesus, came to this earth and he did. Um, he lived a life that was full of suffering and his l- life was ended in a, in a horrible way. And, and that was our God. And so we, we don't have a God who is far off. We don't have a God who, um, who, who isn't with us and, and knows our suffering. And so um, I think the best answer, and it's not an answer at all to the problem of evil, but the best thing to say to someone who is suffering when they ask the question, where is God when I'm suffering is to say, well, he's, he, you know, he came to this world and suffered and he is with us suffering. And that's the God we believe in. And so it's with that that let's, let's pray and let's thank him for, for being here despite a world where there is suffering and God, we, we do come before you and we, um, give you honor and glory for, for testimonies of sufferings that have have led to your glory. I thank you for Chris and how, um, You've, you've guided and protected his life in such a way that he, he glorifies you despite suffering and frustrations. Um, Lord, may, may we have that as well. May we be reminded of, of you and your suffering when we are um, in our own lives suffering. So God, we, we stand before you and we, we, we honor you. We give you glory and peace and um, we, we receive it from you as well. So God, we love you. And everybody said, Amen. All right, friends, you're dismissed. We'll see you next year. Um, So we won't see you for two weeks. We'll see you next year when we start the topic of Christology. Peace out till then. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.